Welcome to another captivating episode of Raw Momversations, where fearless moms and experts unite to explore alternative practices. Hey there, I'm Ali. And I'm Melania. Our mission is to empower your one-of-a-kind parenting journey. Join us as we explore unconventional birthing and parenting methods. Get ready for inspiration, authentic stories, and unwavering family love. Together, we're rewriting our rules of parenting one bold step at a time. So without further ado, let's kick off this empowering conversation. Raw Momversations, where fearless motherhood leads the way. So today we have a very special guest with us. We have a seasoned naturopath, Christina Abral, with us today, who also has a bachelor in science. She works at the Centre de Solutions in Montreal. And if you want to know the definition of dream team, then you have to look up the Centre de Solutions of Montreal. Christina is also a mother of two, and so with her experience of being a mother and her expertise in the field of naturopathy, she brings the perspective that we want for today's episode, which is a focus on children. And this is a special one for me because Christina treats my son. And Christina, it was your attentiveness to him and your open communication afterwards that I felt so supported the entire time, and anybody would be so lucky to work with you. And we're so grateful to have you on today's episode. And fun fact, Christina and I are both Sacred Heart School of Montreal graduates. <laughs> this uh, is true. Yeah. Christina, what house were you in? Uh, Sheldon. I I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> I was going to say Sheldon or Tricano, but I knew it. I was Hardy. I was going to say Hardy. That's yeah. so funny. <laughs> Isn't it funny how when you get put in the house, it definitely suits you? Yeah. Did you have that at QA? I went to a sister school of Sacred Heart, so Queen of Angels, but we didn't. I don't. Do we have houses? I don't even know. Honestly, it feels like a it lifetime may, ago. I feel like I don't it may think have so. just been sacred. <laughs> and now our paths cross years later. Christina, yeah. welcome to today's podcast. We're so happy to have you. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm happy to be here and I can't wait to get into the episode. Ooh, we have a lot of good stuff to talk about today. But first, um, let us know, Christina, what led you to become a naturopath? So as uh, Melania said, I do have a Bachelor of Science, so I've always been interested in the human body, that's for sure, from a little kid. Um, I always knew I wanted to go into sciences. I was considering med school once upon a time, but then I had I knew I wanted to be a mom, that's for sure, at a, at a young age, um, more than like having the dream wedding. I wasn't so girly. I was a bit more tomboy growing up, and, and <laughs> I, I cared more about having children than necessarily getting married. Um and, and yeah, I was just really interested in science from a very young age. I studied biology, cell and molecular biology to be uh, exact. Um, and then when I, when I finished, I started working in pharmaceuticals for about, I would say, 10 years. Um, so I've seen a lot of, um, you know, the, the medical conventional side. Um, but I mean, I would say in an innate way, I've been holistic because of my dad. So my dad and my sister have had a huge influence on my life. Just even growing up, my father was not really the type to give us Advil right away. He would always try like these little homemade concoctions. <laughs> so as a kid, I guess I was exposed to that. I saw that it, it um, my father is also from India. So I guess just totally different culture, totally different mindset. Um, it really impacted my life in, in even now as a mom and to my kids, I'm never going to reach for the pharmaceutical first. Mm -hmm. 
which is funny and ironic because I was in it for right. so long. And I do believe there's a place and time for medicine. Um, that's not at all what, what I'm saying here. Um, but I'm going to exhaust all options first. Okay? Right. So that's more my methodology. And I apply it to my everyday. I also apply it to my kids. Even in training, I was even in sacred. We were in touch football. We were in sports. So I was always holistic in that sense, nutrition. I mean, we never really ate chips growing up. It's just that was part of my life. So that was a big, so that I would say from many, many years ago growing up. And then what led me to be a naturopath, I guess, just in more the Canadian realm and Western medicine, I do find that doctors right away tend to write a prescription instead of just explaining the why. So I was more concerned about the why than just mm -hmm. a band-aid solution. And not to demean any doctor, I think doctors are needed in, in present day, but there are, and if you study other places in the world, Asia, Europe, they do have, and I speak to doctors when I go there, they do have a little bit of a different methodology and I'm a bit more aligned with theirs. Mm -hmm. um, and they're still MDs, they still went to med school, but I do find it a little bit more holistic. And that was really my passion. Um, so I, I guess I just found my calling and I and I ran with it. <laughs> so I, I quit it. my corporate job and I went full on naturopathy. I, that's so inspiring to see because that's something that Ali and I try to instill with our children. So to see how it had such a positive impact on you as an adult today, mm -hmm. I mean, that gives us hope. Yeah. Christina, what are the common, most common health issues that you see in your practice? Uh, so specifically more with, I'll, I'll speak more to with children. Yeah. Um, definitely constipation would be more and more rampant. Um, anxiety is a big one, especially with high school kids. Mm -hmm. I keep seeing that pretty, pretty often and in connection with ADHD, things like that. I can't diagnose because I'm not a doctor, but usually when they come to me, they've already had a diagnosis done with an MD and then they come to me to find alternatives or um, sometimes people just don't want to be on anxiety meds at such a young age. So that one I see more and more um, being spoken about a lot in practice. Um, eczema is a huge one in children. And this one really... I keep seeing, I would say every second kid has eczema. So this one is big too. Um, what else? Oh, immunity. That's a huge one too. Just mm. uh, kids getting, let's say, 12 to 11 ear infections in the year. Um, so that's like, yeah, and, and it's not like abnormal. This is like the norm right now. Um, so that's a big one. And I guess the last one would be, um, yeah, we spoke about anxiety, uh, constipation. Um, yeah, I, I would say pretty much those. Okay, no, amazing. So let's uh, dive into the constipation. Right. So let's just explain to our listeners that based on the ones that you just discussed, that today we're going to focus primarily on constipation. Yeah. And then we'll get our listeners to also hear another episode based on immunity. Mm -hmm. So let's get into the constipation. Yeah. So what are some causes of constipation in children? And how can a parent identify that this is something their child is dealing with? So a big one in toddlers, like younger, and people don't usually put as much importance on this, but for me, this is a huge one. So communication and more the psychological aspect, that could mm -hmm. be a huge cause or kind of trigger. Um, so, you know, either going through a traumatic experience on the toilet, either while potty training. Um, so that's a big one that I see that doesn't help. 
or makes it worse or could really in and of itself be the cause alone. Okay, it's Mm. more of a mental block. I've seen parents come to me that they tell me the child waited till like Friday to go to the washroom when they got home from school or daycare. Mm. Okay, so that and especially when the kid is more like, like I said, two, three, four, where they're not understanding as much and they can't you know, regulate their emotions. It's, it's mm-hmm. part of toddler phase. Uh, that's the one that I see a lot. Um, stress, you know, anxiety, that's also a cause. It, it could affect our system and our motility and how we, our intestines work because um, nervousness does affect that. Um, toxicity, toxic load more and more are, are, that's also a big one, a main one. Um, a big oversight I find by some parents or some um, other practitioners, like we have to focus on diet for sure. Diet and mineral deficiency, nutritional deficiencies, that's a big one. Um, sedentary lifestyle, again, if I go back to just the basics and the foundations and the fundamentals, being just, you know, a kid that's always on the computer or in front mm-hmm. of a TV, um, movement is so important for constipation. And this one thing I did learn from my dad, he like shows me stretch movements, <laughs> yoga movements that do help um you go okay whether you're an adult or a kid and it's funny it really works okay and that's just really basic like moving this way and doing like a squat with your a low squat with your elbows separating out your knees very easy and it works okay so just it it goes to show that moving kind of your organs and and us being more active could help constipation um medications is a big one so people with history of medication even in children um lack of fiber lack of fluids going back to diet um and i guess the last one would be like anything related to the gut so Mm. you could have bacterial overgrowth parasites altered gut microbiome etc anything related to gut and so when would a parent be concerned about their child's constipation? Like we go every day or if a child's holding um, it every couple of days, like at what point should it become alarming for a parent? So definitely if you see signs of pain, signs of struggle, passing the stool, bleeding, um, uh, if it's super hard all the time, also a indication of um constipation is actually diarrhea a lot of people have a hard one of grasping that but diarrhea is actually a indication of constipation um usually when people come see me i I have them fill out a form before and when somebody ticks off like constipation um let's say two three times a week only and then plus diarrhea that to me is an indication like a little bit of a red flag where i'll deep dive and try to dig deeper um but most likely they're constipated I'm not saying all the time, right? Um, and none of this is medical advice, but I'm just saying what I've seen in practice in, in most children. Um, if you look at the conventional definition of what constipation is, um, it goes by three or fewer bowel movements per week. In more my world and the holistic realm, I would say optimal in an ideal world, and not everyone's like this, but ideally, it should be one a day. Mm-hmm. Okay, in an ideal world, and usually like a sign of good health, it's one a day. Now, don't want to freak anyone out or make anyone panic if you're not going once a day that something's wrong. It might not be wrong, but that's when we start looking at diet and fluid intake, et cetera, et cetera. And can you share some dietary um, changes someone can make for their child in order to help them with constipation? 
Yeah. So going back to toxic load and just, I mean, it's a fact. The food is not the same that it was in the 60s, -hmm. in the 70s. The soil is depleted of minerals and nutrients. It's just, you know, we don't have big farms here in Canada. I mean, we have farms in Western Canada, but I mean, like in your backyard, there's only so much you could grow. I mean, if you have a sheep, amazing, but most people can't have a sheep or a cow in their backyard. I wish I I had chickens. I know. Yeah. So my sister, my sister who lives in Greece, lives on an island. And like I said, she was a big influence in in all of these holistic ways. She moved here out of Canada about seven years ago and she lives on a farm and, you know, on an island, her, her sea is her backyard. The dream. Dream. Yeah, so she's living the dream in that sense, and she, you know, I, I, she teaches me a lot too. But, um, but yeah, so so basic things definitely at the at the start, you gotta eliminate sugar and processed foods. That's not mm. gonna help our cause for constipation, and that's any way you look at it. You know, if if the kid is eating high sugar intake, it's not gonna help. Um, a good trick is any of the pea vegetables or fruits. So. Pears, plums, peaches, prunes. Very easy, simple mm, to... Peas. Yeah. And for like younger kids that can't uh, swallow, again, making a puree, puree of any of those, great. Even dipping some bread in like a uh, pear or steaming them. Let's say they can't mm-hmm. chew them. Even a juice. If you could make it into a juice, that's great. Uh, works pretty well. Chia seeds, a big one. High in fiber. Very good. Um, to help with the bowel movements. And a good little trick for chia seeds, because most people tend to eat them raw. I mean, raw is fine even for adults, but most people don't know actually soaking them is better because sometimes if you're eating too much chia seeds or they're raw, um, it actually might make the constipation worse. So I I would opt for for, for soaking them. I remember you taught me that in our first appointment about Marcus and I was like, (laughs) I haven't been soaking them. Did you know you had to soak chia seeds? No, I had no idea. Um, I feel like for people who might not be inclined to thinking about the diet, the f- laxative will come to their mind. Mm-hmm. What are the potential side effects of laxatives? Yeah, so so I I actually worked with uh, so in my pharma career, I'd say I worked a lot with OTC, and one of the big brands was OTC laxatives. So I'm re- pretty familiar with these. Um, but basically, I mean, you could get headaches, uh, you could get nausea, you could get cramping. That's more shorter term. Um, there are more rare side effects, but they do occur. Um, so you can have loss of the hostile folds in the colon. What that means is it creates a colonic inertia. I'm just using like a medical term, but essentially what that means is your colon is getting lazy. Okay, and you're training your colon to do that, and it no longer produces peristalsis, which is the whole function and mechanism of action of our colon. Basically, you're gonna your your colon is gonna be lazy and not be able to move the waste on its own, which is what mm. we want to avoid because then it creates dependency. And that's the same for some supplements too. I want to be clear here too. Like in an, a good practitioner in an ideal world should not have you on anything long-term unless it's like, you know, the generic vitamins, minerals, supplements, Mm -hmm. that's, you know, more in that respect, but technically you shouldn't be on anything. Like you should be able to go on your own. Right. 
And this includes, um, what are those, like, the powders that you put into the water? I think that's more for adults, but... Oh, like that... Metamucil and, yeah, and those yeah, things? Yeah, yeah, So fiber, yeah. Would those have the same effect as, like, the laxative so or not then so much? You... Yes, yes. Yeah. It could be long-term. Mm-hmm. Again, much more natural, but still a drug, a right. natural health product, still in, in the long-term... Um, you wouldn't want to be dependent on anything, like in my definition, in my approach. Mm-hmm. Um, it could also create a lot of dehydration. What we see, like if you're going to go the fiber route, that could sometimes make things worse as well. Mm-hmm. I've seen that. Okay. So both, uh, whether it's an OTC or a supplement. So we got to be careful there. It could uh, make you very dehydrated. Like you need to be drinking a lot, a lot of water if you're going to go the fiber route. And what about for infant? You know how they have those contraptions that it's like, I think it like shoots air or something or it shoots water and like Frida baby had something like that. And then it's supposed to make you go because we're talking a lot about food and diet. But for instance, for an infant who's either on breast milk or formula. Yeah. So for that, sometimes we could go the homeopathic route. It's always good to consult with a practitioner, especially infant, because we're much more limited in what we can um, what we can give even, even through diets. Right. Um, so yeah, very important. I mean, there's like the old school, the, the old wives tale or like your grandma. I mean, my grandma used to tell me this, you used to put like a little bit of olive oil on a leaf and stick it in the bum, like all sorts of, of, of tricks and home remedies. I don't know if it's worked. I never tried that that one on my kids. I love um, the old, the old wives tales. Yeah, there, there are. They usually um, work. That's the, I know. the crazy thing. Yeah. <laughs> I never tried that one. So I, I won't be able to tell you. I didn't, I didn't experiment that one. Um, but yeah, very, very important to consult with a, you know, a practitioner that works with kids or used to working with infants, totally different approach to, um, but again, usually uh, on my side of things, if it's infant, we do try to get, we could give also something to the mother to help if they are getting it through the breast milk okay mm. so there's different methodologies different approaches we could take um but it's really a case by case because is it chronic constipation is it just something that was short-lived that it he just started he or she started experiencing more recently is it a stressful period in the in the child's life like is it exam period and then that's when they start getting like we try to, to see a correlation there um and we really have to examine all uh, symptoms. Yeah, it's it's definitely not a one size fits all. It's very custom, and it's like you said, case to case. Yeah. Um, in terms of uh, gut health, what role does that play in like preventing and managing constipation? Yeah, that's uh, so that's a big one. Um, there's actually quite a few studies out there right now, um, and I could share them uh, after the episode. Um, but our gut or our microbiome and all that means is the collection. If you, if you will, you, I guess the best metaphor is it's kind of like an ecosystem, like mm-hmm. a garden. And it has kind of the good bugs and the bad bugs, if I'm you know, explaining it in the most simple terms. Um, so we have seen uh, that gut flora and the mix of these bugs is very important when it comes to constipation. And also junctions. So when we're talking about gut homeostasis, what that means is just that it's a kind of like in an optimal setting, that you have a nice mix of the good bacteria and enough good bacteria, and it could impact your gut. Um, also tight junctions. So 
Um, if it's the easy way, easiest way I could show it, like our gut, if it's optimal, it's like this, it's tight. But the second it starts getting loose, pathogens and bacteria could get in. Okay, so the more that happens, it could also cause constipation. So there's different ways, different things that affect, but definitely gut health is kind of, I think it's a little bit uh, underestimated in Canada. I don't know if we speak about it enough. Um, and even and even some doctors, like they'll talk about it, but I don't think as intricate as we should. Um, it really is like the cause of, of a lot of things in the body. Mm. If it's not, if our gut health is not optimal, a lot of other things can happen. And it's good to have diverse bacteria in the gut. Um, I mean, there's been a study and, and that's the one I could share. Like they did do it on mice and it was found to improve intestinal motility. So like use of um, bacteria and good bacteria in the gut did improve intestinal motility and colonization of the gut, which, which did improve certain symptoms. How does one know if they have good or bad gut health? Like, are there signs that you can look for? Or So definitely, <laughs> definitely we look at signs. Like if you have um, SIBO, like uh, over uh, bacterial overgrowth, there are certain signs that we look for in terms of digestion, digestive health. There, all, there are functional tests that we can do too, um, like an oats test. It's an organic acid test that we could really, really look at certain gut markers. So that's more someone that's interested in, in, in doing that, or if we can't really find the cause just by speaking to you, um, or like blood work, we do look at blood work too. So, so it could get a little bit more functional medicine, more scientific, where we do run some tests if, if we need, like in cases of maybe chronic constipation, it would be beneficial to do a test. Um, but again, it really depends the situation. And there's sometimes, you know, other conditions that they might have. Uh, mm -hmm. Like, let's say more for adults, not as much kids, but let's say if they have heartburn, reflux, then we look at other things. Um, it could be like candida, it could be yeast, it could be mold, um, it could be H. pylori. Did they do the test? And that you could even do with a doctor. So for sure, we try to use, again, for me in an ideal world, the doctor and the naturopath should be working together and communicating through the mm -hmm. client. Definitely. Um, in, an, in, a, in my ideal world, I would love that. Um, like there should be a clinic with you know, doctors on one floor and naturopaths on the other. Um, hopefully one day. <laughs> they have a lot of those in the States, a lot of functional doctors that kind of do both, you know? Yeah. 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 I'm States is here. a bit more well-versed and advanced, mm -hmm. a little bit more advanced uh, in that respect than, than we are right now. Yeah. And so what tips could we provide for parents if they want to foster an open communication with their children about bowel movements? Like for instance, I'm in the period right now with my son where we got him going. You were so helpful in that. And now he's potty trained, but he won't go on the toilet. And it's just like, how do you foster communication about bowels and bowel movements? <laughs> yeah, th this one's this one's a tough one because it really depends the character of the kid as well. And I mean, you're the mom, you know your kid best too. So for sure, I make suggestions. Um, I guess the most important that I've seen and have like success, you need to have, like you said, one, you said the perfect word, open communication with your child, make the child comfortable, emotionally, mentally, physically, um, get them a little squatty potty, get them those things help too. just even again, simple functional ways without even going into diet, without even going into supplements, like lifting the kids legs huge thing that sometimes helps a ton of parents. Um, so having that little step 
where they could elevate the legs or I like sometimes my daughter I had held her leg I know it sounds funny but it worked okay or like rub the back along the spine it really helps um I just but, got this yeah. flashback of my grandmother because I had these issues as a kid and I would be sitting on the toilet and my grandmother would take my legs and like like move them back and forth she would do that to me lying down <laughs> really yeah yeah you see it comes and back it to worked. moving the kind of the way yeah. and that's why yoga helps so much um and you know I'm sure if you I'm, I'm not an expert in yoga but I'm sure if you ask a yoga teacher there's a way there's like a functional part of that that how we're mechanically how we're moving the internal organ um but yeah so open communication making sure your kid feels comfortable if you know if they need to go that they feel okay they won't feel embarrassed embarrassment is a big one for kids like never be harsh on them I know it sounds and again everybody I don't want to get too much into parenting styles because everybody has a different style but meaning having that you know don't don't embarrass them if they didn't go or if they poop their pants like it's part of the journey um and they'll get there because some kids it takes them a bit longer time you know um but sometimes it could be like just a, a block mentally and you have to kind of get over that hurdle and once we get over that obstacle I find it opens up so many more pathways and and sometimes it's it's just as simple as that for constipation emphasis on opening pathways <laughs> <laughs> no pun intended <laughs> My daughter lies to me when she poops. What do you mean? I'm like, I know she went. And then I'm like, Isabel, did you go caca? And she goes, no. I'm like, why are you lying to mommy? They like it's, to like keep it in their diaper. Yeah, yeah. It's weird. I'm yeah, like, you oh, see? is this a sign I should be looking out for? We're just both still in the toddler phase. Yeah. 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 No, so am I. My yeah. be four and two and a half. Like my son only started potty training now. Uh, my daughter was a little bit earlier. So every, you know, every kid's different. Also, I find daycare. Daycare is a big one to have that conversation mm. with the educator because um, like some of the good educators that really influenced my children, um, I saw a really positive way in how they treat going to the bathroom, both for pee or poop. Um, so I think that's important to have that conversation with the educator because, I mean, they spend more time at daycare than they do with us. Mm -hmm. um, so it's important to get that going even from school or daycare. Is there any um, warning signs that parents should kind of keep their eyes out for that indicate something more serious when it comes to constipation? Or I don't know, I'm just thinking out loud, like the color of their poop or you were talking about diarrhea. Like, is there anything that would be a major red flag? So we're aiming for more. I mean, there's like that chart, you, you know, type one, type two, type three, like the the little balls or the more sorry I'm gonna get more graphic here maybe we can more like we can sausage. link that <laughs> yeah maybe we'll link that yeah. chart but yeah ideally it's the middle of the chart and I mean even a, a doctor usually speaks about this too ideally it's the middle of the chart so not too hard not too soft again if it's on the softer side nothing to be super alarmed with but if they're having diarrhea like every single day then yes I would that's for me that's a flag let we got to explore that more blood in the stool that's a big one like Mm. You need to explore that. I wouldn't just sit and wait on that, whether you consult with your doctor, a naturopath, whoever it may be. Um, also, if the kid is having, so this is where I've seen some cases, some of the more chronic cases, more severe, if they're having really stomach pains, like, and at a certain age, like two and up, they should be able to communicate. If they're in pain, you're going to know. Um, mm. So I've seen like a child be like, 
like really forcing and really abdominal pain. That again, it could be something else going on, not only the constipation. So I definitely would advise parents not to wait on something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, go see your doctor, come to see us, see a practitioner. You you have to consult at that point. So Christina, what are some long-term strategies that parents could implement to maintain healthy and regular bowel movements? Yeah. So in terms of, I just want to finish up the um, diet Okay. Um, in terms of looking at things from a prebiotic. So probiotic, prebiotic, we're definitely going to have that conversation. Prebiotics, I just advise, um, my advice for parents would be don't just get any like over-the-counter probiotic. It's really case dependent. And again, you could, you could look this up. Um, there's some data that's coming out that's very promising for probiotic. Um, but in some cases, probiotics could make it worse. Like if we're just blindly giving the probiotic, sometimes we have to clear kind of the bad bacteria or the gut or, or reset the gut before introducing the probiotic. So um, this is very crucial, like when you're giving it and what type, okay, the mm. different strains matter in probiotics. And that's where the research comes in, where certain strains are beneficial in certain uh, cases. Um, so it's very, very important to work with a practitioner and know which one to give, when to give it. From a prebiotic standpoint, the prebiotic basically feeds the already good bacteria in your gut. So those are things like bananas, garlic, artichoke, dandelion. Obviously, if you're constipated, we're not going to give banana. But I'm saying like just for optimizing the health before the constipation arises, uh, onions, leeks. Okay, so those are kind of just prebiotic foods that can help. Then longer term, longer term, like I said, more chronic cases, castor oil packs, such a good tool, often overlooked by many practitioners. Um, so just to briefly explain without getting too sciencey um, on castor oil packs and why they work. So it does support detoxification and, it, and elimination also helps reduce the inflammation. Okay. So that um, also very important to work with a practitioner, especially when we talk about kids, how to do it, where to put it. Very mm-hmm. important. Like, um, you know, now it's 2023 and people kind of just Google search things. Yeah, that's fine. But I, I would advise to work with a practitioner, especially when it comes to children, to make sure you're doing everything properly. Um, changing diet, that's always going to be even long term solution. So uh, increasing fermented foods, naturally occurring probiotics kefir, sauerkraut, kimchi, all those things are great. That's kind of the most natural way. Um, Ensuring enough liquids, that's also a long-term solution. Sometimes the kid is just not drinking enough water. Sometimes it's as simple as that. Not always just that, but paired along with a few other things, increasing movement, decreasing stress, huge, again, often overlooked, especially stress uh, in terms of constipation. And then parasite cleanse. So again, when I mm. spoke about previously about SIBO or other bacterial overgrowth in the gut, uh, parasites, signs of parasites, um, those we do know what to look for. Um, and I mean, I could name a few, but like if your child is itching and it doesn't mean again, no, I don't want to freak anyone out that if your kid does that, oh my God, they have parasites. Not necessarily true. But just things to watch for. And if they have multiple, like more than one of these symptoms, then most likely it's parasites. So diarrhea, itchy bum, specifically on the bum area. Mm. 
unexplained chronic fatigue. So like getting seven hours of sleep, eight hours, and still feeling extremely fatigued, brain fog, like extreme brain fog, grinding of the teeth, especially at night, joint pain, anxiety, Mm -hmm. behavioral issues. This is a huge one that we see in kids wetting the bed post potty trained age. Wetting the bed is a pretty much a red flag for me. Like if you're five, six, and you're continuously wetting the bed. Yes, stress and anxiety could be a factor, but I would definitely deep dive to exclude, at least I'm not saying it is, it's not cause effect. I'm not saying a guaranteed parasite, but I would explore that avenue a bit further. Um, Speech delays, we've seen it um, many times. So um, these are things to look for, okay? It's signs of parasites. We also look at blood work. And again, there are functional tests that do test for parasites. Sometimes the generic stool test done by the doctor misses the parasites. Mm. In my experience, that's what I've seen. So interesting. And how can a naturopath help with parasite and parasite cleanses? Uh, So different protocols. I won't share any of the protocols because I don't want any going home and doing the parasite. (laughs) That's the last thing I want. But um, definitely we do help. Like there's specific protocols depending on weight, depending on age, depending on symptoms, the blood work. Like I said, we, we definitely deep dive into the blood work. And if you'd like, there are, um, you know, gut tests, gut markers that could help target those. And there are parasitic functional tests that can mark for any of those like tapeworms, flukes, et cetera, different type of, of parasites. I feel like this is so new. And I mean, you see it all over Instagram now, these parasite cleanses. Yeah. I, I find them so interesting because a few years back, you would never even think to consider this. No. And it's funny though, because some doctors will speak about it. They, they're they not denying that parasites don't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, if, if you go on my Instagram, I actually show a video where I'm getting a parasite out of a piece of salmon. Um, mm. So just, I think people need to be more aware of it, that it's, it's, I mean, number one, where it's coming from food. I was going to ask, do they grow in your body or do you ingest something and then they kind of multiply in your body? Different sources, depending the Mm. type of parasite. Okay. I won't go into too much detail about like each parasite, what they do, because that we we could be here till tomorrow, but like (laughs) pond, pool, water, contaminated water, the water you're drinking, if it's contaminated, if it's unfiltered animals, that's a big one. Dogs get parasites, dogs get ticks. We're humans. We can get it too. Um, infected stool. So people that work a lot with infants, hospital setting, elderly, you know, they're changing feces and stool and all that and interacting with that. Even if they're wearing gloves, I've seen it happen. Mm -hmm. Uh, Gardening in the summer, there's parasites in the, you know, outside. So um, different plants. If you travel and you go to a warmer country, you could catch, like, I mean, it's, it's, it's really common. It's just some people exasperate the symptoms more than others because let's say some are, if their gut is a bit better equipped, if you will, to fight off the parasites kind of naturally, great. So they just pass them and that's that. But if they, if they start accumulating, this is when you're going to start seeing those type symptoms that I named earlier. Crazy. Yeah. 
So fascinating. So yeah, mamas, if your little one is experiencing bedwetting or speech delays or um, my goodness, some symptoms, sleep sleep issues that, you know, you might be thinking twice about, maybe this is an underlying issue. And we definitely suggest taking uh, the opportunity to speak with a naturopath, someone like Christina, let her start digging into what she can find and, and help your little one. Yeah, I sometimes say like, I'm a naturopath, but I'm also kind of like an investigator. Yeah, (laughs) because we have to deep dive and look at, you know, clues we look at. So it is very interesting. I do love my job in that respect. It's never one, like you said, one size fits all. Every case is so different. Um, So yeah, and you you are a mommy and you've been through these issues yourself. (laughs) So you've seen things firsthand. Yeah. Yeah. Christina, we're going to add all of this to the show notes of this episode, but if somebody wanted to start working with you, how could they get in touch with you? Yeah, sure. Um, So you can follow me on Instagram. That's the best way. I post a lot of helpful info, uh, general questions sometimes asked by by clients, um, recurring topics. Uh, I also have a link that's directly uh, linked to Centre de Solution Santé where you could book an appointment and see my schedule. It's all up to date. And that's it. And even if you just want to reach out and and talk or ask a question, uh, my door is open. Christina, thank you so much for the knowledge that you've shared today. We're so appreciative to have you. This thank was you for having me. Yeah, this was another real and raw momversation. Thank you. See you next time. Bye. Bye.